And then finally, we're, we're stepping back into our study on the book of Ephesians this week. You know, we've been out the last two weeks for our Good Friday services, which we did two weekends ago, and then our Easter services, which we celebrated, of course, last week. And this week, we'll be picking back up where we left off now three weeks ago at the end of Paul's prayer for the church at the end of Ephesians chapter three. That's where we'll be picking up today. And if you haven't been around fellowship for for very long, I want you to know this is the majority of what we do. We take a book of the Bible, one book at a time, and we just work through it together, paragraph by paragraph, section by section, taking in all that God has to say to us, understanding it in its context and applying it to our own lives. And and that's what we'll do this week. And and because of where we are in the text, we're actually going to do something very different with the service. We're going to flip our service. Typically, we would worship, sing together on the front end, and then I would teach or one of us would teach on the back end. This, this week, we're going to do that in the exact opposite order. I'm going to teach right now, and, and then we will sing together. And, and we're going to do that because in the text, Paul finishes his prayer with a doxology. It's a prayer of high praise to God. It's absolutely beautiful. And so as we do, we're just going to let the text lead us. We're going to study Paul's prayer together so that we understand it. And then we're going to join him and worship together our great God. That's where we're going. And uh, before we go there, I want to give us just a moment to prepare our hearts for this hour together. And so I'm going to ask you to join with me in prayer. And I'm going to pray the prayer that I taught three weeks ago out of Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. It's the prayer, the first part of the prayer that precedes this doxology that ends the prayer. And so I'm just going to pray through that. And so you're welcome to to bow your head and pray with me, or you're welcome to open your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, and just follow along with me as I pray. Now, Before I start, I'm going to ask just a few over here in this section. If you're on that outside, would you scoot in just a little bit so these people on the wall can sit? This section over here, you guys might do that as well. If there's a few seats in the middle, just slide in just a little bit so as people come in while we're praying, they might have a spot to sit down. All right? I'll let y'all get settled, and then we'll pray. All right, let's pray. Father, we bow our knees before you this morning with Paul, his prayer for the church, we make it our own, recognizing that from you every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You are the creator of all mankind, and yet you have a special relationship with those who have placed their trust in your son. We call you Father in a very unique way, for we are yours, your sons and daughters. Thank you. We pray this morning that you, Father, would grant us, according to the riches of your glory, that you would grant us strength and power. Your power made available to us by your Spirit. And that we might know your power in our innermost being. We pray that we would be strengthened with power so that your son Jesus who indwells us may accomplish all that he wants to do in us. That he would change us more and more each day to reflect 
who he is and to bring glory to you alone. We are so very grateful for the work that he has already done on our behalf, that we might know you personally and intimately. We thank you that we are rooted and grounded in your love for us. Our foundation is solid. It's secure. And so we ask as a community of faith, your church, that you might grant us all that we need to comprehend more fully and more completely what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Jesus Christ for us. We would know it in a way that surpasses knowledge, that moves beyond our minds and settles in the depths of our souls. It's mind-blowing to think that even when we already know you, even when we are already a part of your family, that what you want from us is actually more for us. You want us to experience more and more of your great love. So you keep pursuing. You keep initiating. You keep making yourself known to us. You keep moving toward us. It's hard for us to put our gratitude into words. May we this morning be filled up with the fullness of you. May we see you for more of who you are as we open your word for us today. And may we worship you well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In 1952, J.B. Phillips wrote a book in which he addresses a problem that he sees as a significant problem in the church in the 19. 50s. And the title of the book tells us all that we need to know about this problem that J.B. Phillips identifies. His book is entitled, Your God is Too Small. And in the decades that have passed since J.B. Phillips wrote this book, his little booklet, it's about 100 pages, it, it has only grown in popularity. It has only increased in its popularity. It, The classic that he wrote has now become known to most of the Christian community. And I believe that there's a reason for that. And I would suggest that the reason that this book has become a classic among the Christian community is that it resonates so deeply with us because the problem in the church in the 1950s has only become more prolific in the 21st century. Our God is too small. Varying degrees, I think we all suffer from a limited view of God. I I know I do. Is God really big enough to handle all that goes on in this world? Is he really big enough to handle all that goes on in my life? Is he truly aware of all of my anxieties and my fears, my struggles and my problems? Is Is he truly aware of those things and at the same time aware of and available to everyone else? Is God big enough to overcome those things? Is he big enough to overcome sin and darkness and evil that resides in our world today? Is is he in fact big enough to, to meet all my needs and to meet all of my family's needs and to meet all of the needs and the 
people in the families of this church. And we are just one church in a city full of churches. One small town in our great nation. One very minuscule place in the scope of the whole world. And we live in a very, very short period of time when compared to all of history. Does God really, really have the capacity for all of that? Sometimes I'm not sure that he does. And this problem that J.B. Phillips addresses in the church in the 1950s, it's not a new problem. It's certainly not new today. It wasn't even new then when Phillips wrote his book. This, this problem in the church, it, it dates all the way back to the first century. And we know that because Paul speaks to it right here at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. He speaks to this very problem in his prayer. And here's what I think we're going to find today in Paul's words. I think we're going to find that Paul's God is way bigger than our God. That's what I think we're going to find. I want you to listen to the words of J.B. Phillips. This is my hope for our time together. And I'm taking from his words in his books. This book, this is what he writes. What we're going to try to do is open the windows of the spirit and the mind. To put it crudely, to enlarge the aperture through which the light of true God may shine. If a man lives in a light-proof room, the sun may shine in dazzling splendor and the man himself will know nothing of it. He may himself light a candle or bore a hole in his prison, but in the first case, he can never have more than an artificial glimmer. And in the second, he will get only a tiny glimpse of real daylight. What we are going to try to do then is not light fresh candles, but to take down the shutters. There is no reason why we should be content with the candle or with the pinhole if, in my words, there is something far bigger about God that Paul can help us to see. So I want you to take out your Bible, if you haven't already, and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at two verses right here at the end of Paul's prayer, the prayer that we just prayed together. They are verses 20 and 21. Ephesians 3, chapter 20 and 21, and just follow along with me as I read the end of Paul's prayer. Here's what Paul writes and prays. Now to him, as God who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's short, it's sweet, and it's profound. And we're just going to take it apart, these two verses. We're just going to look at them one verse at a time. We'll look at verse 20 first. And here's the foundational phrase in the verse. This is the foundational phrase that Paul begins to build off of. It's simply this. God is able to do. God is able to do. At, at its most basic, God is alive. God is not dead. God is functioning. He is active. He is able. The word for do, it, it comes from the same Greek word for, for work. God is able to work on our 
behalf. And Paul then just begins to build off that foundational phrase a word or two at a time. So God is able to do what we ask, which means that he hears what we ask. God is a listening God. He listens to the questions or the request from his people. He hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. Even the prayer that Paul just prayed for the church, the prayer that we just prayed together for the church. He hears that prayer. He is able to answer that prayer. God can do what we ask, but it's not just limited to that. Paul also says that he is able, God is able to do what we think. So he He knows our thoughts. He reads our thoughts. Psalm 139 says that he understands our thoughts. The things that we imagine that we don't ask God for, he is able, sometimes already at work, to accomplish those things too. And so God is able to do, God is able to do what we ask or think. Don't miss this little word in the text. God is able to do all, all we ask or think. So he hears it all, he knows it all, and he's able to do it all. That is a pretty big statement, isn't it? I say a lot of prayers. I think a lot of thoughts. So do you. And Paul is saying here, I know a pretty big God. He can handle every request. He can understand every thought. But he's he's not limited to that either. Paul says God is able to do more than all we ask or think. This is a God who understands that in our limited capacity, in our finite reality, we don't even know what all to ask or think. So he does that for us. He goes beyond our limitations. He knows there is more. He is able to do more. So he goes there and he simply says to us, I'll take care of the things that are out of reach for you. I'll take care of those things. And just in case you were wondering how much more, Paul says it's far more than we ask or think. You know what the word for far in the Greek means? It means far, far, long, long way, long distance, a great distance, an immeasurable distance. Paul says God can do far more than we can ask or think, but even that's not all. Paul goes on, God is able to do abundantly far more. This is really interesting. The word for abundantly in the Greek, it means far more. Paul Paul says, this is weird. Paul Paul goes, God is able to do far more, far more than you can ask or think. It's like, wait, wait a minute. This is making my brain hurt, right? This is nuts. This, This is what Paul means. You know, the first three chapters of Ephesians, But Paul uses words like lavishly, freely bestowed to talk about the character of God, things like his grace for us. The the idea there, you may remember this as we taught through it, but the idea there is that God has a storehouse, in this case grace, that never runs dry, never goes empty. 
Okay, so that, that's the thought here. When Paul says far more, far more, what, what he means is, is he's talking about a more that never ends. Infinitely more than we could ask or think. But Paul is still not finished. Paul says God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. So far more and abundantly far more are are not yet far enough. In order to really catch a glimpse of how big, how great God really is, we need to add the word beyond too. So I don't know how smart you think you are, how many thoughts that you think you have in your head, how much thinking you have the capacity to do. I actually think made in God's image, he gives us a lot of capacity to think. But even so, Paul says that when we compare what we can think to what God can actually do, there aren't enough adverbs in the dictionary to describe it. There aren't enough. His capacity is without words. It's immeasurable to do beyond what we could even ask or think for us. And in case your mind isn't blown already, God is actually able to do all that. Last phrase in verse 20, according to the power that works within us, his power in us, his spirit that indwells the life of a Christian. And this is where this connection, this conclusion to Paul's prayer, it connects back to the beginning of Paul's prayer, where in verse 16, he prays that God would grant us power. How? Through his spirit in us. Through his spirit in the inner man. Same, same idea, same words, that we would have power, that God would grant us power power according to his spirit that lives within us to know what? Remember this from our prayer, even from three weeks ago, to to know what? To know how big God is. That's 16 through 19, specifically how big, how great his love is for us. The breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. We said three weeks ago, that's another way of saying there is no limit to it. The dots start connecting. His love is far more abundantly beyond what we could ever imagine. How many of you have ever seen a a humpback whale in the ocean? Raise your hand up high if you've seen this. Yeah, a good bit of us in the room. You could see humpback whales in the Pacific Ocean, um, different parts of the Pacific Ocean, depending on the time of the year. So they feed in the winter in polar waters, Alaska and Canada, and then they breed and give birth to their young. They migrate to tropical or subtropical waters to do that in in the winter time. And and in, in the winter, they're down, you know, uh, Hawaii, Australia. Uh, parts of the South uh, American coast, parts of Mexico, you can see them all through the Pacific Ocean, depending on summer or winter, which time of, of, of year. And, and if you have ever seen a humpback whale from the beach, if you've ever seen a spout, like the water that sprays up into the sky from the blowhole, sprays feet, 20, 30 feet up into the sky, or if you've ever seen the the tail, uh, the, the tail come up out of the water that can be 
as, as many as 30 feet wide. Or, or if you've ever seen a humpback whale breach come completely like two swings of the tail fin, completely up out of the water and crash down into the ocean, you, you can tell even from the beach that these mammals are big. These whales are, are really big. But if you've ever gotten to go out into a boat and see one up close, close enough to really see more than 50 feet and 80,000 pounds of whale, one whale, that's different. Had an opportunity about 10 years ago to go out in a Zodiac boat. It's basically a, a raft with two big outboard motors on the back of it. And went out to see whales. We spotted some whales a few hundred yards off the coast. Drove out to the whales. And, and as soon as we got out to the spot that we thought they might resurface again, cut the engines, turned everything off and sat for a minute, a humpback whale breached fully up out of the water right next to the boat from me to Danny. Front row, right about 10 feet, my side. That will take your breath away. And it will fill your pants. It will, yeah. I had been watching whales all week from the beach. Dozens of them. I thought I had a feel for how big whales are, humpback whales are. There was no comparison. Absolutely breathless, absolutely speechless, way, way bigger than I ever imagined from the beach, way more massive, far more abundantly beyond what I could have ever, ever thought. And so is our God. Yes. Far too often we spend our time looking at him from the beach. I want you to look at verse 21. Pick it up there. I'm going to read verse 20 again, and then we'll look in detail at verse 21. Paul writes again, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, his power, his spirit in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Not only is this doxology a fitting conclusion to the prayer that Paul has just prayed for the church, but it's also a a very fitting conclusion to the first half of the book. You might remember that when we started this series in January, we said that this book, Ephesians, this letter to the church at Ephesus, is divided into two equal parts, chapters 1 through 3 and chapters 4 through 6, and they're very distinct. Chapters 1 through 3 is all about what we have in Christ, all that is already ours in Christ, the spiritual blessings that we have, the incredible riches that we have in Christ. And, and, and chapters four through six, which will begin next week, the second half of the book are, are all about how we live out what we already have in Christ. We are at the transition point. And Paul concludes the first half of the book of Ephesians by giving all glory to God, all glory in the church, all glory in Christ Jesus, all glory to all generations forever to come. All of it, all of that glory, honor, and worship is reserved for God alone. And and here's what's interesting. Paul ends the first half in the same way that he began 
the book. I want you to turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I want you to see this. It says, bless, that, that word simply means the one to whom we ascribe glory. Blessed, glory be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And this concept of glory, how great God is, how big God is, how deserving God is for all that he is, for all that he has done on our behalf It builds, the concept of glory builds over the first three chapters in the same way that Paul just built out verse 20. This is incredible. So in chapter one, right after that, Paul begins to talk about the work, the specific and unique work of God the Father. How God the Father chose us to be his from before the foundation of the world how we are predestined to adoption as his sons and daughters, how through the kind intention of his will, it pleased him, the father, to do that. Why? Verse six, look at it. Why would he do that? To the praise of the glory of his grace. Then Paul starts talking about the work of Jesus Christ, how he redeems us, how he forgives us, how he accomplished the unlocking of the mystery of God's will for all of us in him. And that is everything points to him and everything will be summed up in Christ. Therefore, verse 12, look at it. Those who place their hope in him do so to the what? To the praise of his glory. Then Paul talks about the work of the Holy Spirit who has given us a pledge for our inheritance, a seal, a promise that we will spend eternity in the presence of our Savior and and God the Father and the Spirit. We will spend eternity with the Trinity. We will. Why why would he say that that's so important that, that we would know that promise even now? In the verse 14, because that brings glory and praise to God. Look at verse 17. We're not even through the first chapter. Paul's praying his prayer for the church. Who does he pray to? Look at it. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Look at verse 18. Paul continues to pray. And what does Paul pray? He prays for the church for you and me, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened and that we might know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and what is the surpassing greatness of God's power. In chapter two, Paul gets very specific about the work of Jesus Christ. He goes into great detail to help us understand just what Jesus Christ did on our behalf, what he did to save us, what he did to make us his church. Why? Because the work of Jesus Christ to move us, dead men and women, and to breathe life, spiritual life into our souls and then to gather us as his church, his literal bride. Listen, that brings greatest glory to God. 
Well, how do you know that's greatest glory? Because those are the two things that Paul specifically mentions in chapter 3, verse 21. All glory to God in the church and in Jesus Christ. And then, of course, in chapter 3, Paul bookends his prayer for us with the glory of God. Praying in verse 16 that God would grant us power according to the riches of his glory. And then in verse 21, giving all glory to him for all that he has just said. Everything Paul writes, everything that is true about the character of God, his power, his splendor displayed, everything that is true about us in Jesus Christ, all of the incredible riches that we have, spiritual blessings that we have in him, all that we will experience with him in eternity. Everything is about the glory of God. All of it. It all points to his glory. He is glorious. And we are the beneficiaries. He is worthy of our worship and honor, and praise. And Paul invites us to pay him his due. In verse 21, it ends, chapter 3 ends, with the word amen. You know, that actually means two things here. It means two things most places in the New Testament. It, It means I agree, like yes, that's why we say amen after somebody else ends a prayer with amen. We say I agree, yes, In this case, Paul's agreeing with himself. It's almost like, let me say that again. You know, God's glory, let me say that again. Amen, amen, amen. That's what Paul's doing here. But it's also an an invitation to us. Certainly an invitation to agree with him, but it's more than that. In fact, many scholars believe that this could actually be a formal invitation from Paul to the church. From Paul to the church at Ephesus and from Paul to our church. A formal invitation, not just to agree, but to actually respond as the church that gives glory to God in the same way that Paul responds, to join him and worship God together. You know, we could, this morning, we could raise those blinds across the back. I don't know if you've ever noticed them, but they're up high across the back wall. We we could raise those. We do sometimes. We did last week at... At Easter, we could raise those and the sunlight would pour in. Even on a cloudy day, it would change the dynamic in this room. It's, it's beautiful when we do that. But even that, in its essence, you know, it would just, it would just be a, a pinhole in light of the glory of God. Paul here in Ephesians chapter 3, he, he's inviting us to tear the roof of the worship center off. I wish we could do it. Just let the rain come pouring down in on us here in a few minutes. Just rip it off. Why does Paul invite us to do that? So that we can see all of God in his true light and brilliance. How big he is. How great he is. All that he is in his essence and all that he has done for us. For when we see him in his true light, not the light from a candle, not the light from a pinhole, but when we see him as his true and full self, when we comprehend that, begin to own that, we observe Paul's words and we begin to embrace that when we see him in his true light, in all of his brilliance, then true worship 
and transformation will always follow. It will. I want to invite the band to come out and lead us. We're going to conclude the flip of the service. They're going to come lead us. Luke Brown is here as a worship leader today. He's a friend of fellowship, and he's filling in for us this morning. And as they come to lead us in worship, I want to invite you to take a moment just to reflect so this will be our personal so what time, and then we'll have a corporate so what or application time as we sing together. But I want you to take just a moment to reflect personally on Paul's words. Just take a minute to soak in them. Maybe there's something that you need to say to God. Maybe there's something that you need to ask Him. He already knows all your thoughts. Would you spend a moment with him? And as you take a minute quietly to reflect, I want to invite our ushers to come down and pass the baskets for offering. And then I'll lead us as we stand to worship together.